It is fascinating to me that uh, this band's name is comprised of three very famous philosophers. Well, it sounds like uh, a philosopher, a psychologist, and a just like a writer. Welcome back, party people, to another edition of the first cut, an episodic journey through the sonic underground of today. Now put the kids down for a nap, open up a bottle of the good stuff, and sit tight, because it's about to get weird. Seriously, this is not for kids. You've been properly warned. Hello and welcome back, party people and non-people alike. You're back on the first cut with Danny and Evan. Say hi, Evan. Hi, Evan. That's good. Um, We are doing our first, um, let's say, throwback episode today in that we are reviewing our silent episodes. And I'll explain what that means here in a minute, but we're going to go ahead... And get into uh, our first pick, the band Cerulea. The album is The Wishing Tree, Volume 2, The Birth of a Titan. And the starting track is The Tree. So we talked about this on a previous episode briefly. <coughs> Excuse me. But I'll explain what we mean in its entirety for likely the last time. Um when Evan and I started doing this podcast for the first, I think, five or six, maybe seven episodes, probably not seven, but five or so episodes, we, for um, the sake of saving face with YouTube, we um, would not actually listen to the artists live. We were listening to them through our headphones, but we weren't recording what we were listening to. So you could see what we were listening to on the screen, but you couldn't hear what we were listening to. And we just played background music to fill in the void um, for the reason of copyright issues with YouTube. And eventually we said, well, that's fucking stupid because they're just going to be mad no matter what we do. So we eventually decided to start listening to music, but... Those first few episodes still had the disservice of us not fully covering them, if that makes sense. So we're going back and doing that, starting with episode three, uh, Prog Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So this band is Cerulea, and we've talked about them previously, obviously. But now we're listening back and uh, kind of seeing, you know, how we we feel about it and if our feelings have changed and this and that or whatever. And I still think this shit is pretty badass. But it's interesting to me because I can see that this album released in 2012. And while we certainly didn't cover it in 2012, we probably did say in what, 2016? Something like that. Something like that. Because uh, as memory serves, and I could be totally wrong, but as memory serves, I don't believe their newest release, which was The Wishing Tree Volume 3, I don't believe that that was out, but regardless, we were probably somewhere roughly in that time, 2016, 2017, back when we started doing this podcast, and we were really all over the place with when um, we would get to do recordings but um considering they haven't had a release since 2017 which is what five years almost five years because it's july um that would indicate to me well no i mean because i guess the album before that was 2012 i don't know all i can say is maybe they are maybe they aren't still doing this but I hope so. I hope they are. Yeah, uh, this yeah, this is pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool style, you know, of, of Prague. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's pretty far off from like where I'm at with like my my Prague sensibility. I, I've been kind of indulging myself, reindulging myself in the in the classics, King Crimson, and and uh, a lot. 
Um, and uh, well, mainly just King Crimson, I guess. <laughs> just like 70 to like 74. Oh god. But anyways, so no, this is like the the you know the modern. Um, not not gent, um, but you know the bare knuckle, yeah. um, uh, big guitar riff kind of sound, and and I like it. It's fun. I was gonna I say, mean, I think this album probably would have been coming out right in the heyday of gent, for what that's worth too. Probably yeah. back towards towards when bare knuckle was being initially established. Yeah, and it kind of um, it, it kind of sounds like the um, the old. Uh, you know, it sounds like the the way that I really uh, that I, like got into progressive metal. Yeah, uh, with between the bear to me and Dream Theater. Oh yeah, more so between the bear to me, I guess. With the with yeah, just like kind of telling a story through like these kind of long form, um, right? Uh, just like technically very um, intricate riffs and uh, and just kind of really high level musicianship. Um, and yeah, I. I uh, I really like it. It's cool shit. Definitely. I concur. <clears throat> I agree on all fronts. I say it it reminds me vaguely more of Dream Theater than Between the Buried Me, but I do know what you mean. Certain I wouldn't yeah. say it sounds all that much like either personally. It actually kind of reminds me more of like um sonically similar to like The Fall of Troy, but more like um Manageable, well, if well, that makes sense. True. Yeah. Detroit is I mean, pretty all over the place. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's interesting how like progressive rock was what it was yeah. that way back when, and then and then punk was born, and then Mary the Twain shall meet. They kind of Indeed. hated each other, but I feel like ever since, like, I mean, of course there are bands who've been doing it for a long time, but realistically, I feel like with Mars Volta. Like, that was kind of, like, the huge turning point in, like, hey, like, progressive rock and punk rock or, uh, you know, punk variants can, like, really be mixed with each other, metal for that matter. And, yeah, yeah, the world of progressive metal is pretty, you know, quite extensive. And uh, and I think it's all the better for it because, yeah, there's so much, like, interesting music that has come from the the marriage of of, um, progressive rock and... uh, metal hardcore or what have you and obviously you know (laughs) if punk would have remained like completely uh segregated from the rest of musical genres we wouldn't have things like crust punk and grindcore and i know people would be like yo we wouldn't have pop punk either well you know some pop punk is okay Yeah. yeah yeah i'll say that but, uh, At the drive-in's pretty cool. Not that they're pop punk, but pretty cool. Yeah, I mean they're kind of like at the at the start of the post-hardcore thing. Oh yeah, or Which, post uh, yeah, or post-hardcore for that matter. Yeah. I don't even know like how that didn't come to my mind, but yeah, like post-hardcore wouldn't exist had there not been more of um, uh, branches coming out of the original punk facet. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like yeah, I mean, in my opinion, I, I mean, like. Punk, punk rock's children were a lot more interesting than, than punk rock itself. I get that, you know, it's a time and a place. If you were there... I wish I didn't agree with you, but I very much do. Yeah, I mean, if I was there in, you know, 76 or 77 with, with uh, in New York City or, yeah. or wherever, and, um, uh, I feel like, you know, I probably would have... <laughs> It would have been a lot more important or interesting to me. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. You listen to the music now, and it does kind of date itself. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Like, it, it's fascinating because, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for um, fucking Black Flag and Minor Threat. and. Um, well, and that's like the hardcore Lord. punk. That's like the yeah, like early Not even like stuff. the Ramones or... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not like saying I don't New York have, Dolls and yeah. like... <laughs> Velvet have, Underground, like yeah, I have I have plenty of res- well, you like the Velvet Underground. I do like the Velvet sure, Underground, yeah, but I have I have respect for for all those um, really godfathers of the more intense tones. Um, it's just like not my shit, and yeah, it's one of those funny things that it's like I I feel that punk punk was kind of like progressive in its own way that like it did 
It did genuinely age. It didn't just have its time and then die. And a lot of people would say that Prague, well, let's just say Prague, not Prague Rock, but Prague did have a time and then it died. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. a lot of people would say, like, you know, you listen to bands like King Crimson and Yes and um, um, <clears throat> other bands at that time, you listen to like Frank Zappa or Captain Beefheart or whoever. And there was a time for that. Um, and then it just was like, poof. Once it became a little more ubiquitous, you know, um, Rush was doing it for a minute, and then they became a little more common with what they were doing. Genesis was doing it for a minute. Well, I feel like, I feel like Rush, more... like, you know, they, they really deserve, like, so much credit for how oh, they, yeah. they... They really carried the torch, like, with uh, Permanent Waves. They carried yeah. that torch from... From uh, the 70s into the 80s, and they they made prog, they kept it relevant. But now, even fucking Queen, like their first couple of albums are crazy prog. But the thing is, is that you can look at any of these bands that remained relevant, and you can see the change in their sound. Or God forbid, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd's what first three, four albums are so radically different. If you listen yeah. to Adam well, Hartmother Sid and Sid Barrett era, exactly, yeah. but yeah, exactly. If you listen to Sid Barrett's stuff versus like Roger Waters stuff, it's night and day. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing is, it lived for a time and then it just kind of died. And it's not that prog rock didn't kind of pick up that torch and really run with it, and then for that matter, live with it. But it is a very, very different sound. If you listen to this, which is prog rock, and compared it to just King Crimson, you know, yeah. it's night and day. I've been listening to um, Going for the One by Yes. Mm, yeah. um, I've been getting it some good spins on my hi-fi. I'm really enjoying it. I mean, yeah, I it's a... Okay, it, that was Yes's album from 1977. It's right. a good album, but it's kind of funny how you can really feel... Um, you can like feel the um, the desperation <laughs> that they were like, oh man, like punk rock is in full swing, yeah. And we like we're now we used to be really cool, and now we're like really corny with our capes and synthesizers and right. and uh, mustaches. Well, and I mean, of course, that was a huge, huge thing with Genesis in that way too, when they were uh, fronting with Peter Gabriel versus oh, yeah. when they fronted with Bill Collins. And that's oh, the yeah. funny thing is, like, obviously many uh, lackadaisical uh, listeners would be like, Peter Gabriel never played or sang for Genesis. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah the he fuck did he did. Well, I'm saying, like, people oh, who are yeah. not, like, super historic, they're like, no, Genesis, Phil Collins. Yeah, I know Genesis. It's like, but, dude, there was a time, there was a time when Phil Collins was not before, the singer of the band. Before Peter Gabriel was, wanted to be your sledgehammer. Yeah, and it was, was uh, very, very different time to be listening to Genesis. He was, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I only have one Genesis album on, on vinyl, I guess I should say. Which one? A nursery Crime. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's good, but Genesis has never really been my, my sound. I, I fucking I, love Genesis. Steve Hackett is a great guitar player. I, I just, I've, it doesn't... I don't know. His, his playing doesn't do a lot for me, though. Um, Phil Collins, I think, is an amazing drummer. So, I mean, is I think he's a brilliant singer, too. Oh, I think but, he's a great singer. He is, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I think Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel, for that matter, it's funny how they both had um, incredibly successful solo careers. Yeah. Um, uh, and their first albums had just, like, taken the world by storm. Um but you know, naturally, it's I feel like Peter Gabriel good. was to Genesis what the Beatles were to England. It's not necessarily that it was wrong, but when they left, they did a whole fucking lot better. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I, Peter I Gabriel is fantastic, but I think his time in Genesis was not the best. Yeah. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. Then there's Jethro Tull. I can't really listen to Jethro Tull anymore. Really? They're a little too cornball. Oh, man. You used to be borderline you, uh, obsessed with Jethro Tull. Oh, yeah. I used to really love them, but it's just like... And I'm sure I will in the future. I'm sure I'll get back into it, but it's... That's good. It's like, you know, th- their music is just so married in, like, um, like blues rock. Yeah. And it's just... doesn't really... That's not really my flavor right now. 
I guess that, like King Crimson is really my, my main flavor. Do you I not mean, still have the little sound machines that play the Aqualong riff every time you walk through the door? Oh yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, da, you know, da, 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 da. there's some great songs in that album, <laughs> but you know, uh, it's just Robert Fripp. He's such a fucking genius. Oh yeah. Um, uh, uh, Greg Lake. Yeah. Uh, is uh, you know I, Emerson Lake and Palmer like those, those fucking people are like amazing musicians man I haven't listened to ELP in the longest time yeah I finally like listened to Tarkus for the first time a couple of months ago it's really good I right? never like I'd never actually taken the time to sit down and listen to it it's fucking intense it's fucking awesome yeah it's like all over the place and just but it's it's fucking, so cool it's to so think, indulgent like, but so much fun yeah but to yeah. think like that album came out so fucking long ago you know what I mean yeah. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like, but King Crimson, like, uh, in, like, um, Lark's Tongue and Aspic era with John Wetton and Bill Bruford. So John Wetton with his bass and his vocals, so fucking iconic. And uh, Robert Fripp with just his fucking madness behind yeah. the Mellotron and on the guitar. And Bill Bruford with his big fucking giant lead foot. Oh, man. Yeah. So, anyways, I love that shit, man. Definitely love it. There's also a band called Comus, which is really fucking good, and I, I don't know if I don't know if everyone's uh, heard of them, but I they should check them out because Comus. Comus. Can you spell yes. it? Um, it's C O M U S. Sweet. And they're they're I think their one and only album was First Utterance, and um, it's just a class. It's a, it's like a psych folk, but also <laughs> prog. Um, it's pretty. You know, it'd be fun when we, because uh, I think this is probably about dang a little time to wrap up with Cerulea, but when we come back, why don't we talk about some of the more like um, uh, fringe genres with Prague that actually kind of helped to expand the genre? Yeah. Hell yeah. So thanks again, Cerulea, for the second time now. You've been fantastic, but everybody gets to hear you this time. Isn't that cool? Well, we've sure appreciated it at least. Um, Thanks once again. Cheers. Cheers. We are on with our next pick. Okay, people. We are back with our second artist, Ishmael. The album is Lotic. And the first track is Friar Fight. Now, it's funny. I remember when we originally did this one, we had said, I'm kind of on the fence as to whether I would pick this for prog rock or for math rock. Yeah. But we decided prog rock. Yeah. Um, I think maybe it's a little more traditionally math, but it's still very proggy in its own right. So perhaps maybe a fringe pick, but still it's quite it's quite good, it's quite lovely, especially if you like listening to like you on the YouTubes, listening to your Tim Hensons or your Ichikanitos. Yeah. It's quite yeah, nice. I know, yeah. It's got uh it's definitely got that um Yeah, you're right, that that kind of sound, yeah. yeah. Um and uh, or or like Terra Mellos or whatever. You know? Oh sure, sure. Um, so yeah, you're right, Math Rock definitely. But uh, I like that. Yeah, we're here in a quite a different universe than than the first band. Absolutely. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, I think what's going on here is very pretty. Obviously, we're looking at like clean tones, clean vocals, clean guitar. And that even the drums just sound very clean it's and subdued. So crisp. I think it sounds great. Yeah, I mean, it's just the uh, very, very beautiful. It yeah. is fascinating, though, that we've we've now on this list so far featured two American music capitals, more or less. Yeah. This is Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Brooklyn, New York, and the last one was Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh yeah, the last artist. Yeah, it's very interesting. Neat. But yes, certainly, and and their most recent um, endeavor was in 2018, which is fairly recent. Prior to that was 2015, so that timing seems about right. Hopefully, Ishmael, you guys have something else on the horizon. I very much look forward to it, at least. Um, man, it's good. Let's just actually let this sit for a minute. We can get back into our combo. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's been a while since we've just been like, hey, let's just listen to this. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
But well, um, yeah, it's like it's like this this band is definitely, or at least this album, is, it does that that thing that any good prog should do, and it just kind of just makes you kind of start moving. Yeah. But then it, it just fucks you up with the little time signatures and polyrhythms. Or yeah, little modal changes. Like oh right yeah, here. oh yeah, yeah it's wonderful, beautiful. But we were going to talk about what about uh, I was ta- I was thinking rock. about talking about some of the more um, prog fringe prog adjacent sorts of picks so i know like uh can camel those are big bands that you like yeah. well i don't know that you like camel but i know you I, definitely i've like scarcely listened to camel and, yeah like, they're uh, a little bit more on the yeah. kind of cheesy but tangerine kind of cool. dream tangerine dream is great i was just listening the other day yeah um and then of course there's the jazz fusion side which we were talking about as we were yeah. getting started oh, with like um um, Mahavishnu Orchestra and Weather um, Report. Weather Report, yeah. Jaco Pistorius from Weather Report, one yep. of the bass, greatest bassists of all fucking time. Yep. Um, now, yeah. I was actually listening to um, uh, that one album by Joni Mitchell mm. that he was on. And then I got. Jaco Pistorius? Yeah. And then he did an album with her mm. um, you might have to in the mid 70s. It's, it's called Hajira. Hajira? But anyways, I don't know. Um, but he was on that album, and and uh, yeah, his his bass work is very iconic. Joni Mitchell's pretty great too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but uh, but yes, the jazz fusion side too. I mean, that's like a whole episode in itself, I guess. Yeah, that um, <clears throat> that could be a fun episode because we've definitely done jazz a couple of times, but we've never done fusion. Yeah. Oh God, there's also a band called a. Uh, called uh nucleus that's yeah, another band i've never heard of uh fucking oh my god they're they're amazing like just it it just like um they have some records that just like make your fucking make your blood just like make your stack make your out. blood pump i don't know what the fuck i'm trying to say here it's yeah, just yeah. it's really good i'm not very clever when it comes to uh euphemisms, um, cool euphemisms. it's okay but it's it's high quality it does the good shit they shutter your lens. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. They butter your biscuit. Mm-hmm. But yes, Prague's marriage with um, with other genre types. Well, and of course, I'm sure it's a surprise to no one that my my most favoriteist, which I fucking hate when people say that, my most favorite marriage with with uh, Prague and Prague Rock actually was with Prague Alternative into the greater prog alt movement where we see bands like Porcupine Tree, The Pineapple Thief, Radiohead. Um, I, I would go so far as to say the Mars Volta. Um, just so many fucking phenomenal bands that kind of um, married uh, early, well, not early, I guess actually later, prog rock with the alternative style to make more... I, 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 I struggle and I'm afraid to say radio friendly music as much more as like kind of more alternatively palatable music that actually really did push the envelope i mean for fuck's sake when you listen to early radiohead um when you listen to okay computer kid a and albums like that and just think oh yeah it's just like every other if you think those albums sound just like every other alternative band um, the reason you think they sound just like every other al- because yeah. everybody copied them. Yeah, well, exactly. yeah. I mean, everyone just followed on the on the fucking heels of Radiohead. I mean, yeah. I mean, they did uh, they did a Pablo Honey, which of course was like just them copying the Pixies, yeah. which is fine. Whatever. Hey, every band has their has their kind of you know. Mm-hmm. But then they had Creep, of course. So you know, hey, that that really carried them through. But then uh, the Benz was just super high quality, very very mm-hmm. good fucking album. But yes, it was just alternative rock, nothing really special. Or interesting about it, right? Um, but but yeah, okay. Computer really shot the plot, and then yeah, Kid A just took everything to a new fucking universe. Yep, and then it was just fucking grabbing and running with it since then. So that that's more of my my real wheelhouse that I love is the prog. Well, it's not to say I don't love classic prog and prog rock or prog metal or whatever. I feel like you know, I feel like the old prog. It, it's like it's very much an acquired taste. Oh I mean, yeah, for sure. It's, it's very difficult to get into. Not not only um, was just like the zeitgeist different, like the the overall taste of what people liked was different, but the technology was a lot different. And so, uh, recording technology was, uh, you know, you can make the argument that like 
recording to analog tape was like the best, but you know it. It, it wasn't the best. Sounded it was just good, but what it was they had. So limited. Yeah, yeah it, it was very limited. Let's be honest. Digital, you're able to catch it or capture a lot more fidelity I, with digital recording I, nowadays. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really stuck there because I love the the classic warmth of an analog recording, but to me, I think the best marriage is analog recording digital editing. Yeah. No. And then yeah, in the late '70s, they started messing around with all kinds of technologies where they could do that. Um, now, I think that, yes, analog is... I almost feel sometimes that analog record, you know, bands that... Especially bands nowadays that record straight to analog tape, it's, or, you know, it's like... It's more of a... Um, you make your music sound good on it in spite of its, uh, of its characteristics. Because it's, I suppose that's true. Because it's... I don't think it's inherently good. I don't think someone just records to tape and, oh, it just sounds great. I think you have to have, like, the right engineer. Well, uh, absolutely that, yeah. But I think part of it, too, is that, like, a lot of modern equipment isn't very compatible. Like, uh, I think a lot of modern amplifiers don't really have the same... And, I mean, granted, when I say... I've said this before. When I say I think, it's a matter of actually, like, no, I mean, I know that that's the case. But... A lot of modern amplifiers don't sound anything like fucking amps that were being made in the 60s. Excuse me, 60s yeah. and 70s. They sound nothing alike. So naturally, if you say like, oh, I'm going to take my my amp of choice, for example, my Mesa Boogie Royal Atlantic, which was probably made in fucking 2008, um, and be like, yeah, I want to sound just like I'm Brian May recording... Back in, you know, fucking uh, wherever the hell he recorded, wherever they recorded in England or whatever. It's going to sound nothing like it, even if we are using analog recording. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, the uh, yeah the technology is just is so much different. I do and, love vintage uh, amps, though. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. And vintage amps are great. And, you know, it's almost like something that it's almost like taboo to admit. And I don't want to admit it. But the thing is... Um, uh, digital modeling of, of amps like with, amp, with Axe Effects or whatnot mm-hmm. um, they're so fucking good nowadays yeah. that it's just like you in an A and B comparison 90% of the time you can't tell the difference yeah. I've been really thinking about getting one of the oh lord what are they called uh, it's not the Axe Effects it's the other other big name yeah I don't remember uh, that's, that's gonna drive me nuts it was what Ben Eller well actually it is what Ben Eller uses shout out to Ben Eller what's up bud um, Uncle Ben, but um, I think it starts with a K, but I, I just I just can't remember for the life of ben me. Anyways, ben Ten, Ben Ten, yeah. Uh, but uh, no, I mean it's a it's a digital modeling solid state amp. But yeah, I've been really strongly considering getting one of those because most of what I record is DI anyways, and I just use a DI amp simulator to go from my. Um, Royal Atlantic and the funny thing is is I I feel like I get good tones for the most part but it, it just makes me think like man why don't I just fucking cut out the middleman mm-hmm. um, I know yeah it's, it's such an interesting like dilemma because it's like it's like yeah you know I, I guess people nowadays they want vintage amps and vintage studio equipment oh, me for, too, for the sake of that it's characteristics for for the, yeah. how it feels and i totally understand that if you, you want if you want to play a vintage amp like a vendor blackface or something because of like how it feels that's totally fine because it the feeling is a lot different have you noticed and i am not going to say any brands brand names here because that's gonna fucking get me into trouble it's gonna get me into trouble have you noticed that a lot of and jemima there he goes a brand yeah, name yeah, yeah. for you Oh, Have they changed that shit. Motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry, they changed Have, that. Did they? Yeah, my bad. It's just Was Pearl, it Pearl Mill, Milling Company or something. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe they changed it to Uncle Jemima. Like she went through transition. <laughs> Uncle Jemima. <laughs> Anyways, um, a lot of modern guitars sound like the same. And a, again, lot of, a lot of modern guitars? Yes. Oh, again, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying names, but even. And actually, I would even go so far as to say, particularly, like, boutique guitars. Like, ones that you will not find on store shelves sound like they're, like... It, it almost sounds like they're they're trying to go for 
the the approach of like we actually don't want to add color and characteristics to our guitars to make them sound unique as much as we want to make them sound as boring as possible yeah so that you can color your tone in whatever way you want and this is why i said i don't want to say brand names because i know the moment i say one brand name a fucking metric shit storm is gonna fall on top of me but there are plenty that i've heard that i'm like wow yeah that sounds just like most of the other ones yeah well, it's like, yeah, it's almost like a guitar. But I am trying at this to buy a boutique just, bass. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so. it's, a, it's almost like a, it's almost like a, uh, a guitar nowadays. Is it's really just like the, for either the feeling of it, which is, which is, you know, yeah. that's understandable because a, yeah, a, a Telecaster feels way different than a Les Paul, even than a Stratocaster, yeah. which is made by oh, yeah. the same company. Yeah, but um, I fucking love my Tele, by the way. But then, but then, otherwise, honestly, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an aesthetic thing, you know. Mm-hmm. People, it's like you have know, if a, if a band is shooting a music video, it's like, are you gonna have the Telecaster or the, uh, the Strat? Which one just looks better yeah you know hey whatever well i mean those are like the the fucking <clears throat> i would go so far as to say the gibson les paul and the stratocaster granted those two are the single most replicated looks yeah um because you got the single cut of the les paul and the double cut of the stratocaster and then fucking every goddamn company on the planet has copied those two looks in one way or another but then short of that, you have the Telecaster, which is also a single cut, but still looks distinctly different than on Gibson Les Paul. And then, of course, I would say the only thing past that that's like, oh, every company's done that, too, is like the Flying V. Yeah, I was just thinking about a Flying <laughs> V because I, I had thought of like how when I was like 17 years old, I went into our local music store mm-hmm. and uh, and picked up a uh, a... Like a, one of those Randy Rhodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is so, it an actual Flying V? I don't remember if it actually No, it's... Is. I don't think so. Well, I whatever it a, is. I think it's a Jackson, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah, maybe you're right. Well, I picked it up, and I was like, oh, man, I love the way it looks. I'm going to play it. I sat down with it. And for one, it was, it was the, like... The how black the f- one with the white poke, like, spots? I think so. Yeah. And, I, and I, was like, I was like... Classic. I was like, oh, first off, I'm like, how the fuck do I even... Yeah. Okay. And then I started playing it, and I'm like... I don't like the way it feels or the way it sounds. So the funny thing is, is that I, when I sit with my guitar on my lap, and I've realized like there, I have really bad like guitar posture issues because of this, so I'm trying to break it. But I've been playing guitar for 15 years, and this has always been the way that I've done it. I set the indentation on my right leg, and most of my neck goes over my lap and over my left leg so that my left arm doesn't have to extend very far um, outwards. Um, I don't have to adduct, I think is the term, as far. Um, But then, of course, when I want to go inwards, I have to go to, like, my fucking belly to get to those high frets. Um, And I think, personally, that's not the best way to sit with your guitar. The better way is to actually sit with it on your left leg where the guitar mm. neck actually oh, yeah. goes out quite a ways. The classical style. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, and of course, even when I say that, that's not the best way. The best way is to have a strap and let it be floating so that it's actually much closer to your elbows, but I digress. But if you are going to set it on your lap, that, in my opinion, is the way you probably should do it. But, funny enough, I didn't know that the first time I tried playing a flying V. <laughs> And uh, I had it set on my my right leg. And I was like, how the fuck am I supposed to balance this fucking thing? And uh, I just, like, it didn't make any sense to me. So I put it down. I was like, all right, I'm going to play something else. And I felt very similar the first time I tried playing a Gibson Explorer, which is also a pretty cool-looking guitar. Um, Until I realized, like, oh, yeah, I could actually set the Flying V on my left leg to where it kind of goes into my right leg. Oh, yeah, that makes way more sense. Mm Mm-hmm. But, um... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, that was a long conversation about guitars and shit. Yeah. How do you feel about uh, moving on to our last pick, Evan? That's a novel idea. Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ishmael. 
Um, always happy to listen to really good art. You know what's funny? I get that we just started doing this, like, let's review the past thing. But I'm so glad that even just in our first episode, we haven't found one artist that we're like, oh boy, what were we thinking? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I, I really terribly fear is like going through these and like coming across an artist where I'm like, this sounds really bad. Why did we feature this? But no, no, no. I mean, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, so far it's been nothing but just positive nostalgia. So thank you very much, Ishmael. Well, and you know what they say in Brooklyn, we're walking yeah, here. Yeah, we're walking here. All right, let's walk on to our last pick. Okay, people. Are you still with me? Well, you have a pulse, at least. Mm. We're on with our final pick, Have No Fear by Kant Freud Kafka. Let's start with the first track, uh, Principo. Principio, sorry, excuse me. I know some people are going to be reading that and be like, that does not say Have No Fear. It says No Tengas Miedo, which is funny because the last time we did this, I was like, I don't know what the fuck that means. But now I do know what the fuck that means because uh, I've been studying Spanish and it means have no fear. Neat. Yeah. Tengus well, meaning, yeah, it's possessive. Have or has. No, obviously, being a negative. And then miedo being fear. Yeah. Well, this fucking... Yeah, this this album just <laughs> straight up just, just sounds like swans, like right in the start. Yeah, this it's one goes like, all fucking over the place. What's fascinating to me about this one, so first and foremost, you'll probably notice that this... I actually don't know where this artist came from. I can probably look closer into it. Um, in fact, why don't we do that while I'm talking about it? Um, but yeah, this this actually was put up by Prog Streaming, who is in the Netherlands. So I know you could be like, well, this band's from the Netherlands. I don't believe that they are. Uh, they are from Spain, España, which actually uh. makes way more sense because their fucking album name is in Spanish. So that makes a whole lot of sense. Mm. Um, their most recent release was in 2017. It's not too bad. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, but yes, Prague Streaming posted this page that we're on. Perhaps we should have actually gone to Kant Freud Kafka's actual page, but hey, we didn't. And now we're here, so, you know. Yeah. It is fascinating to me that uh, this band's name is comprised of three very famous philosophers. Well, it sounds like uh, a philosopher, a psychologist, and a just like a writer <laughs> yeah but i mean i would still say they're all philosophers they, they all okay right? yeah Ka- kafka was was like sort of an absurdist existentialist yeah. before that was even a thing right um and and yeah you know freud was a psychologist but definitely had the a sort of philosophical bent yeah and kant yeah was just a, a classic philosopher right so. right right yeah right, right right yeah and i mean yeah okay well anyways um, without talking God, about so any of the badass. specificity of any of those those uh, gentlemen, um, just an interesting choice of band name, but pretty cool. Yeah. Speaking of philosophy, though, Evan, I had read something recently, and I actually I told myself I was going to do some research on this before we had the conversation, but I didn't. So I'm gonna just go ahead and fucking jump headfirst into shark-infested waters. Yeah. I had recently read an article because there's one big thing that has been fascinating me actually for years, really, in the idea of music theory. And I'm going to be very specific with how I say music theory in this, because typically when you say music theory, what most people hearken to is they'll say, oh, so you mean like music composition. That's not what I mean. I don't mean we're talking about modes. I don't mean we're talking about time signatures. I don't. What I literally mean is the theories behind what makes music music. So I guess you could say that more like musical psychology mm. or musicology for that matter. Um, but that is what I mean specifically when I say music theory. So if you hear me say music theory and it fucking feels like a like glass in your brain, <laughs> that's, what, that's what I mean. Um, 
But in the interests of music theory and music psychology, I've been very fascinated with frequency relationship and how they pertain to human <laughs> how they pertain to emotional impact. Yeah. Right? That's very so I think pretty much anybody and their mother, as we talk about this, who knows anything about music theory in the traditional usage of the term, knows that at least on a basic level, if you play a major scale, it sounds happy. You feel happy. Mm -hmm. That's just how you feel. If you play a minor scale, you feel sad. Yeah? Yeah. Pretty basic shit. But I've thought and if you play like the Dorian scale. It fucks well, you hey, hang on. Oh yeah, hang okay. on. You're getting way ahead of me. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but on that basal level, what is it about the minor scale that makes it feel sad? You could easily say, well, the major scale feels happy because it's super familiar. Most music is rooted in the major scale. Ergo, we feel happy. Okay. I don't know if that's the truth or not, but you could say that pretty easily, and I would believe you. Wouldn't it have to do with, like, tension and release? Like I think it does. I think it does. I think it has to do with frequency relationships to mode intervals. Um, but I had read an article, and I'm not going to mention the person's name, because, uh, again, I don't want to dive that fucking deep into shark-infested waters, but I had read an article by somebody who I believed said that they were an actual, like, like licensed official musicologist that said that they theorize that how we feel about these things is actually more societal than psychological. That we believe that minor is sad and major is happy because that's what people have told us to believe. Because we're conditioned to think that way and that music, um, more often than not, is presented that way and it's kind of spoon-fed that way. Because she says, and it was a she, um, she says that there are songs of specific examples that exist within those modes that actually do have the opposite feel and one of the uh examples that she gives for uh source is the song losing my religion by rem which is a very in, in her words sad song despite the fact that it is in the minor scale and i wanted to talk about this because i think this is a phenomenal uh interesting talking point um first and foremost before i let you run away with it i disagree with the theory um not 100 necessarily but i do disagree with the theory and secondly i would say in my personal opinion i don't hear the song losing my religion and go that makes me sad i think losing my religion feels more bittersweet and bittersweet does have roots in major but I would be willing to bet, and of course, this is the huge part where I said I really wanted to do some research into this, and I didn't, and now I'm really fucking regretting it. I would be willing to bet that because, again, going into music theory, as a lot of people who study music theory knows, there is the concept of musical relativity or potentially modal relativity to say that each major uh, mode does have its relative minor mode. So, for example, C major... Um, a minor. A minor, thank yep. you. Yeah. Um, so, realistically, that being said... Ooh, and you got a whole tone. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, so, the minor tone in A minor is what? C, just C natural? Well, Isn't that a, correct? In A minor? Yeah. Yeah, C natural, yeah. Right, I figured. So... The, the intervals that make a, a scale minor versus major um, still exist within each other. It just depends on the focus that you give to them and where you are rooted that gives the feeling. So I, I would be willing to bet, and again, I could be totally wrong, so if I am, feel free to comment, um, that in the case of losing my religion that uh, Mr. Michael Stipe may in fact be 
more referential to those minor tones, to those minor intervals in his singing, whereas the instrumentation is major, he could be focusing on the minor aspects, which would cause it to feel of course, sad, yeah, yeah. even though it was yeah, it's in funny, a major you know, key. I, me and my wife watched... Um, we watched... Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Song Exploder, Mm-mm. but it's like... I had one more point I wanted to go over on that, but anyways, well, please go ahead. Well, it, it was like, it's like a show where this, uh, I don't remember the host's name, but he, he like meets and does interviews with, uh, with these artists mm-hmm. and they, it's like Song Exploder in the way of like, they talk about the song and they explode like the stems out and they listen right. to every like little track and talk about the history and the feeling and... They didn't actually talk about like uh, about that kind of concept, but yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I really want to get more into it here in just a minute. But the only thing I was going to add was that like, typically when you're writing a melody, right, you almost never start on your root tone. You don't start at your root tone and then build. You start in more specific, excuse me, suspenseful tones to land on your root tone. So you might start on a second interval or a fourth interval, move up to a perfect fifth, and then back down to your root, and that creates a sense of relief. But those tones that exist between your root and your octave have some amounts of varying suspense, and that's what makes something more musically fascinating. So all of that to be said, if in the case of a song like Losing My Religion, he actually was using the root tone as a suspense tone, it could indicate that he is actually more or less playing in a minor format to the original major um, composition. So in that, you could create something that sounds totally fucking sad while actually being happy simultaneously. And it's inter- that that's very interesting to me because I write music predominantly in major Lydian such tones that actually do feel more happy and jubilant. But a lot of what I write lyrically is really sad, but I don't actually indicate that so much in my music. And I've loved using that as, as a um, device... Um, because I think the allegory for uh, depression and most people who have depression is so strong to me that, you know, they say uh, people with depression always have the biggest smiles because they're they're trying so hard to hide it and look normal that I like my music to feel happy and joyous and boisterous and all of these sort of things. Um, whereas the lyrical content would signify that it is not that. So all of that being said... Evan, how do you feel about this theory just off the cuff? Yeah, I buy it. I you buy, buy it. that music is societal or that it is not societal? I buy it. Okay. <laughs> Tree fitty. Tree fitty. <laughs> um, well, I mean, how do you feel about all of that? Oh, God. I, oh, Jesus. It's a lot to dive into. Yeah, it's definitely a lot to dive into. And <clears> I feel <throat> like, I mean, I don't know. Does Mr. Byrne talk about that kind of thing here? I have no idea. How Music Works by David Byrne. I'm acting like yeah. a microphone is a camera. Yeah, it's a, it's a book that I own, but I have yet to read. Um, David Byrne is a fucking genius, of yes, course. Yes, everyone yes, yes. Brilliant. Everyone knows. Brilliant that. musician. Um, but it's, it's funny about all the REM stuff because I, I think... I also think REM is quite brilliant, too. They're great, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, but... Um, and if it weren't for REM, like, fucking Radiohead would never be a thing. Yeah, sure. Um, but, uh, so... I think, if I recall correctly, maybe wrong, but I think the the single that they put out right before uh, losing my religion was "Shiny Happy People," yeah. <laughs> which was yeah, just Another total like jingle pop. Shiny happy people, hands. <clears throat> yeah. So great yeah, song. It, it's funny how it's like yeah, exactly. It's like uh, it's very jarring <clears throat> of a difference, but that song was just like. <laughs> pure happy there was no ambiguity but there. It's, it's so fascinating because rem specifically because obviously we're still talking about them <clears throat> they were kind of like all over the map with their musical ideas and inspiration so another probably their biggest fucking song was end of the world and that song was like had an ultra happy vibe right it's yeah. the end of the world as we know it but yeah. i feel fine 
Well, and like, all the all the references they make are fucking hilarious too. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty genius. Yeah, absolutely. But yes, let um, me go ahead and just correct that real quick. Oh God, oh that was too much fun though. Yeah, I know. It's like one of those little grabbers at a you know at, a, <laughs> at an arcade. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, um, yes, very interesting theory. Yeah, it's a little much for me just to uh, just think about. I, I do like thinking about that kind of shit. You know, it's a less um, form formulated mm-hmm. and more kind of just um, I feel like kind of stoner brain kind of shit. But this is something I've been thinking about lately because I've tell me I've been in the the space brain mode for a, a little while. I am um, I really I really like my you know my Michio Kaku and my. Neil deGrasse Tyson. I do want to say really quick before you get into that, so everybody can take my my point with a fucking Himalayan salt lamp sized grain of salt. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Um, I am not a doctor. I have not studied musicology. I'm just a a bystander with a very deep appreciation of music who plays music and com- writes music. I almost said composes, but that would be a little um, uh, <laughs> pretentious. Uh, yeah. That being said, this individual, as I recall, I believe, does in fact have a PhD. So clearly, they are much more the expert than I am. But we are discussing theories, not yeah. facts, per well, se. And I, I feel like there's a lot more classical evidence to signify the, the opposition to that idea. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Indeed. Well, so, I've, but I've been in this uh, this mindset, this mental mindset. That's the thing an idiot mm-hmm. says. Okay. <laughs> I've been the in mental this mind mental as mindset. To the mind or... in this mental mindset where um, I've been thinking about like the universe. I've been thinking of the the cosmos as like the out of bounds area in a video game. Like, okay. we were never meant to see it or go there, yeah. but we're so fucking stubborn that we do, and it's awesome. Fuck invisible walls. But the thing that I've been thinking is strange is, you know, I'm like, the universe is just a bunch of, like, gas and exploding stars and true. kind of just, like, it almost just seems like random nonsense, um, which is not yeah. random. It's very orchestrated, of course, by uh, by God. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but, I mean, I... I... To me, it does seem random. Yeah. Granted, that's my perspective sure. on the outside. Certainly. Well, string theory is, is an interesting thing, but um, uh, I so don't know that band. yeah, oh yeah. no. Um, but the thing I've been thinking that that's kind of fucking my mind up lately is that like I'm like, well, the universe isn't just um, gas and stars and um, and planets and whatnot, like. Because music was created by humans, and humans were created by the universe, so... I thought you were going to say humans were created by music, and I was like, that's an interesting that's an little interesting sexy theory. line you came up with there. Yeah, I don't know if I could really, like, stand, you know, stand up for that one, but, but uh, no, I've been thinking about how, like, music is, like, it's just one of the many vibrations of the universe. Absolutely. And I feel like if Sun Ra were here, he'd be, like, fucking, he'd be, like, tipping his head, like, oh yeah, you know. But I mean, it, music realistically is just a very pleasant way of of uh, airwaves hitting our ears. Yeah, it's just it's just vibrations. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty fucking amazing. It's like there's light vibrations, there's sound vibrations. I mean, I really should be fucking like spinning Bob Marley and fucking smoking a Jaybird, but you know, hey, it's <laughs> yeah. just like it's I like, can I can facilitate that if you'd like. Yeah, maybe. But you know, it's like uh, that's what I've been thinking. You know, it's like we all exist in waves. Yeah, it's just it's all just. It's all just vibrations. It's all just sound waves. It's I all think it it's fascinating is. to me to think that, like, most of existence is negative space. So, like, most of what is isn't. And if you think of it that way, did I even technically punch you in the eye earlier? Or did you just, like, think that I did? I just thought you did. Yeah, yeah exactly. When in reality, you fell down the stairs, and that's where that black eye came from. <laughs> in a completely different side of the universe, everybody in the, their mother, I'm sure, knows at this point that your favorite movie of all time is Lost in Translation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I did watch your other favorite movie of all time for the first time very recently, because if you guys know anything about me, it's that I've seen very few movies, like, comparatively. 
Mm. And I finally watched um, an American classic that I had never seen before that uh, Chelsea was actually really getting on me about seeing. And I was like, okay, fine. And then I watched it. It was really good. I can't imagine what that is. Uh, Eight Mile. Eight Mile. There you go. What a classic. Never seen it until just recently. Fuck yeah, man. I, I watched that when I was probably uh, 10 years old, maybe, I guess. Sounds about right. The timing seems about right. Because <laughs> that was like a, like early 2000s, yeah. I believe. Oh, yeah, it's 2001, 2002, I think, maybe. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I think... 313, fuck free world. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't good. know why, but yeah, that that movie has really stuck in my memory. That's a good movie. a young little boy. But I thought you would appreciate, yeah, hearing I, I just saw it for the first yeah, time. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, Brittany Murphy. Exhibit was in there. He's not Exhibit, doing shit anymore. He's not doing shit anymore. I mean, he was on Dr. Dre's last album, but that's the last yeah. thing I remember hearing from him. Yeah. Well, everybody and their mother was on that album. Yeah, that's true. That album featured fucking everybody. Such a good album, though. Yeah. Oh, that was great. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah. It's all vibrations, man. Good vibrations. <laughs> what on earth was that? It's Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Oh, I thought you were going more for like the classic, like Beach Boys. Oh, I'm picking up good vibrations. Yeah, yeah. She giving me excitations. Yeah, that's such a good song. Yeah, it's great. That whole fucking album is just a trip, man. Yeah, but, but yeah, no, Beach Boys were great. Definitely, Brian Wilson. Beach Boys were way ahead of their time. Oh yeah, Holy they're shit. fucking psychopaths, but but so were the Beatles. So. That's an interesting way of putting it. Well, yeah. I mean, dude. Well, I'm sure we've Brian talked Wilson. About I, I shouldn't say that about him because he actually did have like I think he does have like sort of like mental yeah, yeah. issues that he kind of manifested in in the 80s. And you know, so funny enough, in in the. Uh, in the general trying to be linguistically better, I'm trying to actually remove lame from my vernacular. Because, I mean, it's so easy to be like, that's lame. And, I mean, granted, let, let's be real. Like, lame was kind of like the cheap version of saying a lot of other things that I'm not going to say. And you all know that you used to say, but you don't say anymore. Um, but despite, you know, those other things being ableist or homophobic or this or that or whatever um lame is pretty ableist too yep so man yeah Yeah. so i i don't know i haven't really found the um the uh nice marriage yet but um i'm working on it hmm interesting all of that being said um People, I think it's about dang diddly time to wrap this thing on up. How do you feel about that, Evan? Absolutely. Yeah, this this album has really been a fucking roller coaster, man. Yeah. How good. You're gonna listen to this on the way home? Fucking probably. Yeah, it's it's very good. Indeed. Well, people, from all of us here at the first Cutland, um good night. For Scotland. For Scotland. For Scotland. For Scotland. Okay, anyways. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> uh, good night, good day, good morrow, all of these things. Oh, three things to take out on Jesus. I, I find myself just always like looking around the room to like see what I can draw inspiration from. Um, if you have a drug test in the morning, depending on where you are locationally, it's probably not the best idea to use CBD lotion for that pain in the back of your neck. It's just much easier to tell your partner to stop being such a pain in your neck. Well, I'm saying um, another one for me is I'm... Oh, you got one? Yeah, this is... Hell yeah. Don't fucking stub your toe on your grandmother. <laughs> yeah. fucking disrespectful. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. And I know for She's Breeze... sleeping... Okay, she's sleeping on your floor. She, You didn't invite her. She's over there uh, against, you know, against your wishes. Yeah. But look, she just needs a fucking place to crash. Yeah. Just let her get up. Just let do her, her get thing, up, leave. do her thing, and leave. Yeah, please. And look, I know Febreze smells like it would taste good. <laughs> <laughs> because it does. 
It actually oh. tastes significantly better than it smells. <laughs> oh, good. Well, you, fuck. You I've been drink, scared for a while. You so should drink as I much got a of full it as fucking possible. Bottle at home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bottoms oh, up. Oh man! Don't drink and drive. Don't smoke meth. And we'll see you back here next time. Did we just predict for breeze shots? 2022. <laughs> that is not. I am not endorsing that internet challenge. <laughs> But I am saying that if people start to do it, I wouldn't be that mad. Yeah. But don't fucking sue us, Febreze slash Lysol. Uh, Simple Green smells like it tastes better anyways. Also, if you drink Simple Breeze, or excuse me, if you drink Simple Green, you will fucking die. So really don't do that. Please. Please. Goodbye.